And also, if you can have your finger in John chapter 10, as we're going to read then from John 10, verses 14 to 18. Under the title this evening, Turning to the Shepherd. And as we prepare our hearts for the coming uh, Lord's table, this coming Sabbath, we're going to be looking at two... uh, parts of scripture one very much looking at what we turn away from and another looking at who we turn to with any group there are terms of membership terms of membership and we may not ever really think about it when we join a group or when we sign up for email and we tick that little box at the end that says have you read the terms and conditions Um, but in everything in life there are these terms and it's no different for our own church as we come before the Lord's table And right before we're going to read uh, these two sections of God's holy word, we're we're just going to read as well uh, the terms of communion. And this is what a Christian looks like. This is what it means to be a Christian. Not a perfect person by any stretch of the imagination. If it was seeking for a perfect person, none of us could go before the table of the Lord. But someone who desires to be like Christ. So the first term of membership of uh, the Reformed Presbyterian Church of Ireland is this. I accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as the word of God and the only infallible rule of faith and practice. Number two, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the only Redeemer of men, supreme in church and state. And independence on divine grace, I take him as my Savior and Lord. Number three, I promise by divine grace to show a teachable and submissive spirit to the teaching of Holy Scripture as set forth in the testimony of the Reformed Presbyterian Church of Ireland. And finally, number four, I promise that by the help of the Holy Spirit, I will endeavor to live a life consistent with my profession. So this is what it looks like to be a Christian. Not a perfect person, but someone who desires to be like Christ. Someone who desires to turn away from sin and to look to the good shepherd of our souls. So now let us turn to our scripture verses here from Nehemiah chapter 9 and also from John 10. Nehemiah chapter 9 verses 1 to 4. Let us hear God's holy and infallible word. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth, with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins, and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their father for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, 
They made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shabaniah, Binai, Sherebiah, Bani, Kananiah. And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And then we'll turn as well to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verses 14 to 18. John chapter 10, verses 14 to 18, which reads as follows. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father, and may the Lord bless the reading of his word. We'll come now once more to the throne of graces for, for seeking the Lord's help. Father, Lord in heaven, we rejoice, O Lord, to hear from you, the great shepherd of our souls. And Father, as we prepare to meet with you at the Lord's table this Sabbath coming. We pray, O Lord, that you would feed our souls here this evening. Stir up our hearts, O Lord, that we may see that you are the good shepherd, that you are wonderful. And Father, the things that we turn away from, the things that keep us from you, that we would wish more and more to shun those things and to meet with you in a more special and more intimate way. Forgive us for our sins. Though they are many, your grace, your mercy is so wonderful. We rejoice, O Lord, in you. And we pray that your face would shine upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Turning away from something and turning to something else, can it can sound negative. It can sound negative, or it can even sound, we could say, unpleasant. It's not like turning on and off a light switch, is it? We wish it was that easy to turn away from our sins and just hit on and off the light switch and just make it that easy. If we could just say sometimes to our children, just stop it, and would that be normally enough? It's not. So often when we think of turning away from something, as we're going to discuss this evening, we have to think about who we're turning to. Who we're turning to in preparing ourselves to being fed this coming Sabbath day, turning our backs on bad food and turning toward good food from the good shepherd himself. Our girls, they love books. And 
There's many books that they've loved in their childhood growing up when they were three and four and that they found very hard to uh, hand away or to give away. They're books that they would love to read time and time again. And asking them to give those up is hard. So we said if they could get, for every five books they could give away, they get one new book from the shop that they could pick. Now it's exciting. They're looking for books. Daddy, I found more books that we can, uh, that we can give away. Something bitter has become something sweet. Something sweet. In the repentance we read in Nehemiah chapter 9 verses 1 to 4, we may look at what they gave up. We may look at what they're turning away from and we may see only one side of things. Almost like the rabbit in the headlights, only seeing one thing coming towards us. But there's more than that. There's more than that. Turning away from something that's bitter and turning towards someone that is sweet. They were not, we may not see what is being gained in Christ. And so as we prepare our hearts for this coming Sabbath day, as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table ahead, let us not just think about this as some outward ceremony, another box to tick on our journey uh, through the Christian life, but turning to the shepherd, turning away from the things that uh, cause us to drift from him, uh, turning away from the sin that harms our relationship with him, so that when we meet with him, we meet with him in a more sweet and blessed way, a more intimate way. And as we turn from our sin, very obvious and uh, sin in our lives and our hearts, let us turn to Christ, the great shepherd. And as we're looking through these things, examine your heart, dear friends, here this evening. Are you a Christian? Have you repented of your sins? Have you forsaken that which is bad food? Have you forsaken that which is bitter? And turned to him who is lovely and sweet himself. The first point we're going to look at here this evening is number one, sorrow. Number one, sorrow. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 1. Now in the twenty. Fourth day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dust on their heads. In turning to Christ, there is a reality of what we have done, there is a reality of the sin of our past. Here in Nehemiah chapter 1 verses 1 to 4. Their conscience has been awakened by the word of God. To what, to where they have fallen short. Their conscience has been awakened to the, the glorious standards of which they've been called to. They've been called to be holy. They've been created in the image of God. 
We see the standard of God's law. All of us fall short of that standard. Every single one of us. And when we see that, and we love Christ, we mourn. There's a sense of grieving. There's, as they had here in Nehemiah, there was, you know, there was fasting. And fasting is something very appropriate in a time of crisis when we're grieving over sin and various things like that. In sackcloth and with dust on their heads, showing outwardly this, uh, this grief that they had. This is the bitter part we spoke of. This is the hard part to take. Our sin. And it just followed after the Feast of Tabernacles. In in Nehemiah chapter 8. And we're going through this in a series in Nehemiah. uh, They kept the, the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Booths where they dwell with God. And it's a, it's a joyful feast. It is a wonderful feast. Of celebration of what God had done for them in the wilderness. They had gone from feasting to fasting. But once this is over. After having heard the law. That same law being taught to them. There's great sorrow and humiliation for what they had neglected. The word of God had become alive in their hearts, making them mourn over their sin. And this is what revival can look like. Sorrow over sin. And it's easy to take sin for granted. For much, for a long, long time, God's people here had not observed the Feast of Tabernacles at the end of, as they did in the end of Nehemiah chapter 8, as they ought to have. And it's easy to take it for granted. And we all can be unaware that we're drifting from God very slowly, little by little. It can be like little grains of sand being added one toward another. And before you know it, you have an entire beach. Unaware That we're drifting from him. I don't know if you've ever had this experience in your own life. I remember at the the beginning of uh, last year. I bought uh, weighing scales for the first time in in years. And uh, I think I was a little bit afraid to step on it. And it was a number that shocked me. I was like when did that happen? A little here and a little there. And there can be big changes that can happen to us. Physically, but how about spiritually? How about spiritually? And here, the Lord has awakened through the instruments of the Levites and others who are teaching them, changing their hearts, changing their minds. Now, at the same time, we need to point out this should not be a sorrow that crushes us, makes us want to give up. And not seek to follow the Lord. Sin does grieve us. But it should not crush us. For who we turn to. We turn to a one. Who is ever willing. To feed us. And to lead us. It tells us in. Nehemiah 8 verse 10. It says this. At the end of the verse. Do not sorrow. For the joy of the Lord. Is your strength. 
There's the bitter part of repentance. There's a bitter part of shunning that which is not good for us, sin. But turning to the Lord. There's a recognition of our spiritual poverty. This is who we are. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5 verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Recognizing your spiritual poverty and looking to the one with riches. With glory, ever willing to embrace. He is sweet. If we look at John 10 once more, John 10, verse 14 says this I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. He is good. He is sweet. He is lovely. Now, everyone, I think, loves chocolate, don't they? It's going to be very hard to find anybody who doesn't like chocolate unless you're allergic to it. But have you ever tried 100% cacao? It's like pure cocoa. Most people hate it. This is like chocolate with not an ounce of sweet in it at all. It's bitter, it's not pleasant, and immediately you hunger for that sweetness that you have in the the chocolate that you normally like. There's nothing sweeter, there's nothing more satisfying than this good shepherd. He is that good shepherd that that feeds and leads us. And he says, I know my sheep and I am known by my own. Nowhere sweeter. And there's nowhere sweeter as we come towards the table this coming Sabbath day than at the Lord's table. It's not just a ritual we go through. It's not just some outward thing that we do. We meet with him in a way that we can't really fully wrap our minds around intimately, spiritually, being blessed and being built up by meeting with our God at the table, enjoying being in his presence, being fed by our good shepherd. And friends here this evening, if you sorrow over sin, if you are weighed down and you're, you're suffering, come to him who is sweet. Embrace him more and more. There is sweet relief if you are looking unto Jesus. There is sweet relief for you. Number two now. Separation. Separation. So we've looked at sorrow. Now we're going to look at separation. This sorrow. After their conscience. Is awakened by the spirit of God. This is what's happening here. Uh, they are. Sad. But not just sad. Because for no good Reason, uh, Their consciences have been awakened by God's spirit and God's word. And this leads to action. This leads to action. It leads to a separation from the world's beliefs and system. It says in Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 2. Then those of, Isra- of, of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners. And they stood and confessed their sins And the iniquities of their fathers. How do you know that you're truly grieved by your sin? How do you know? 
You separate from it. If it grieves you and it makes you sad. Now, of course, we must also turn to Christ in that moment. But how do you know? Sin is forsaken. Separated from. You could even say sin is cut off. Do you separate yourself from sin when when there's something coming between you and the Lord, between you and sweeter, more intimate fellowship with Him? Do you make excuses for that sin? Or do you wish to forsake it and flee to Christ? I'm speaking to believers here. All of us have sinned. All of us have areas in our life on our lives we need to grow in. Every single last one of us, from the weakest of us to the strongest of us. Some of the things that the saints of old, you know, those 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 men we say are heroes of the faith, but they would see their sin more and more near the end of their life than they would at the beginning. There's areas we all need to grow in. And sin is against that good shepherd. It is against him. It is against that one who is sweet. None of us have a perfect record of forsaking sin. If we look at here in Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 2. It says this. Then those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners. It's speaking here of mixed marriages largely. Mixed Marriages where a believer in the Lord, Jehovah, in the Lord Jesus Christ, marries a pagan, an unbeliever. That's what it means by foreigner or stranger here. Just in case anybody's coming away from this and thinking it's if you marry anybody who's not from Northern Ireland or not from this island. This is not what it means by foreigner. A foreigner in that day was someone outside the visible church. It was a pagan. It was someone who worshipped another god. And this is a serious sin. All sin is serious. But this sin is particularly serious and has particularly bad consequences that often follow. Some sins endangered the holy seed more than others. Some seeds are a bad testimony to the world. Some sins particularly corrupt us more than we realize. What do our our sins say to the world? If we are professing to be Christians and we're very cavalier about the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day can speak volumes to a lost and dying world of our attitude to Christ. And it can present us wonderful opportunities to share the gospel. There are particular sins that are grievous, more grievous than others. But we also have to think about private sins. There's, there are those sins that your neighbor can see. But there's also sins that no one can see. I think we live in a very private age in some ways. Of course, everything's up on Facebook and all these kind of things. But there's a sense in which we've become more private We've become more private. And there's, there's particular online sins that have become more and more prevalent, I, I fear. In the church even. 
How many in our day struggle with internet pornography? How many struggle with online gambling? Theft if you win. But careless misuse of what God has given you if you lose. How much is there abuse in homes today? Various different things and becoming all the more common in the church, in the wider church. All that to say, God is watching. We may have an unblemished record before our our neighbors, but God sees what our neighbors and perhaps even other members of our family don't. So we must be careful as we approach the Lord's table to seek actively to put these things to death so that we can have more sweet and more wonderful fellowship with our king at his table. The sheep who sorrow for sin, the sheep who who separate from sin. What are we told in John 10? They hear the voice of They hear the voice of the Lord. It says in John 10, verse 16, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them I also will bring, and they will hear my voice, or they will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. And in the Hebrew mind, in in that part of the world, just to... Hear it with your ears. It's not what they're talking about. It's talking about obedience. It's talking about really listening to him. Number three now. Surrender. Surrender. So we've looked at sorrow, separation. Now we're going to look at surrender. They hear. I'm speaking now about our text in Nehemiah. They hear and they, they surrender to the voice of God. God. They hear where they have fallen short. They have heard the book of the law being explained to them and their their minds are being instructed and they want to see how they can be more in conformity to the word of the living God. It says in Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 3, and they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one fourth of the day. And for another fourth, they confessed and worshipped the Lord, their God. The Lord, their God. And we'll also remind ourselves of that wonderful verse from John 10, verse 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. Sin is a fight and a defiance against God's rule it is a particular rejecting of his rule over some area of our life some aspect of our life that perhaps we have said no to the Lord when the Lord looks upon the earth because he's created it all every single inch every single centimeter Every single particle of dust, he says, and rightly so, mine. Mine. Because it is his, and he knows his sheep. He knows his sheep. 
They follow him. They know him. They surrender to him. He knows his sheep. Now, when we see that in John 10, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. This is not just talking about facts and information. We know that God knows all things. He knows about everything that will happen, that has happened. He knows everything. But we must not think of this verse in such a way. Of course he knows all these things, but it's, it's more deep and wonderful than that. This knowing is of relationship, of infinite knowing. The word in the scriptures in both Hebrew and in Greek can be used in the sense of the most intimate relationship that any person can have on this earth between a man and a woman in the marital bed. That's the sense of the word. It is a deep, sweet relationship that takes place between a shepherd and a sheep. And that is the one whom we are turning to when we are forsaking sin. When we weep over sin, we ought to at the same time go to that which is sweet, turning away from that which is bitter. And not only a shepherd who loves his sheep, yes, imperfectly, but sheep who love their shepherd. In all these things, our love of the shepherd grows. And he knows and he cares deeply. His sheep see this. The more we look at the scriptures and the more we learn of our shepherd, the more we see how deeply he cares for us. This surrender requires not just sorrow over sin or separation from sin, but also seeing the sweetness of Christ. Uh, We have to see the goodness of the good shepherd or we're not going to want to surrender at all. We're not going to rejoice in surrendering to him. This word, when it talks about, I am the good shepherd, this word translated in Greek, good, can also be, in different contexts, translated beautiful, handsome, excellent, eminent, choice, surpassing, precious even. Beautiful, as we just said, morally good. So this is not just some, you know, we can say in, in English, well, he's, a, he's, he's good at that, isn't he? No, it means more than that. He's wonderful. He is wonderful. We, and the more we see this beauty of this good shepherd, the more we see his goodness, the more we will willingly seek To surrender to him. Now whatever sin is coming between us and him. We will gladly forsake. The more we see his goodness. I was watching a program a few months ago. And in this program there was a shepherd. Who was, he was a first time shepherd. And he wasn't particularly good at being a shepherd. And... At first, uh, this shepherd was able to get the sheep to do what he wanted them to do. They listened at the beginning. And in reality, he didn't really shepherd them. He bullied them. I don't think he realized what he was doing. It worked briefly, but after a while, frustration built up in, in the sheep, and they were not having any more of it. 
eventually the sheep started jumping over the fence. It actually surprised me how much they rebelled against it. Our shepherd is nothing like that at all. Not, not at all. He skillfully and wonderfully leads each and every one of us. He lifts us up when we fall into the ditch. He leads us to good food because he loves us. If there is any frustration in our walk, hear me now with this, it comes from us. It does not come from his wonderful hand. It does not come from his wonderful shepherding. When we see how wonderful he is, surrendering to him becomes, may I dare say, easier. Confessing sin where necessary, worshipping him as they did in the days of Nehemiah. Because as we turn to him and see his sweetness, worship comes forth from our hearts as well. And our final point here this evening is supplication. Supplication. So we've looked at sorrow, separation, surrender, and finally, supplication. Supplication means this. The action of asking or begging for something earnestly, seriously, or humbly. Asking or begging for something. In Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 4, it says this. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 4. Then Jeshua Benai, there's a list here of a number of these teachers, stood on the stairs of the Levites and cried out, with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Cried out with a loud voice. There's nothing casual about this cry, is there? We could even replace it with the words. When you're in trouble, what do you cry out? Save me. Help me. Deliver me. Cry for help. Sometimes when people get injured, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, you ever get a cut in your hand, you're maybe cooking or you have an injury, and you don't feel the pain until you actually see the injury. Sometimes you have no idea that you're injured. Then when you see the, the pain or you see the injury, your brain finally registers it, and that's when you start to feel the pain. It gives us a sense of urgency. It gives us a sense of the problem. When we see our sin, when we compare it with the Word of God, it gives us a sense of urgency. It gives us the sense of our need. Through this clear and focusing lens of Scripture, and this is why we need to be in the Word of God daily, isn't it? We can so easily forget these things. We need to constantly feed our minds on what is his righteous standard. And then the pain of the wound, we could say, is being felt. The damage has already been done, but now we see the problem. And now we can see that we need help. We need help. And the word of God also gives us this wonderful assurance. The more we are in it, am I 
a Christian. And if this is the practice of your life, friends, if, if when you look to the Word of God and it brings you to sorrow, separation, if it brings you to this point of seeing your deep need and you cry out to the Savior and you think, am I really a Christian? Can I be a really Christian falling into these sins? A Christian will sin. But the question is, what will he do when the word of God illuminates his mind and shows him his sin? He will flee for forgiveness to the Savior. Who are we crying out to? See, we can, we can run for help from many different things. And often it is not the shepherd of our soul. Who are we begging to for help? And again, the goodness of the one, we, if we see the goodness of this shepherd, then that will drive us to him. John 10 verse 15. As the Father knows me, and even so I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. We're going to someone in our forsaking of sin, who has demonstrated without a shadow of a doubt how much he cares and loves us. I don't know about you, but do you ever see sometimes, you know when you try to help people, they might be a bit suspicious, so why are you trying to help me? But then trust is built up and they're more willing to come to you because they see that you're coming from a place of love. That you care about them. Well, how much more does Jesus have to show us, this good shepherd, for us to flee to him in our time of need? These are not casual cries that we see in Nehemiah chapter 4, or not Nehemiah chapter 4, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 4. A loud voice, a loud voice from the very depth of their soul. Prayer. In, you could even say intense and serious dealing with God. And it is meeting with our God. When we see our sin, we don't make excuses for it anymore. We, we identify it. We say, this is where I'm falling short. I am sinning in this area. I am falling short in this area. Oh Lord, help me, wash me. Because the Lord delights in our prayer. Do you know this? When we come to him through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that good shepherd, when we come to God the Father, he delights in our prayers. These are sweet smelling aromas before the throne of grace. And these ought to be sweet, intimate times for us as well as believers in Jesus Christ. When you're going through worries, when you're going through things that make you wake you up in the middle of the night, when you're, you're concerned about things, go to the Lord. Seek Him. Cry out to Him so that He may feed you with heavenly blessings. Because we're talking about heavenly blessings because that's what we're going to be receiving by faith alone through grace On the Sabbath day, the blessings come by faith alone. The blessings come by grace at the table of the Lord. 
But we must come in supplication. We must come seeing our need. We must come seeing that we are poor and needy. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Isaiah 55 verse 6. As we look at the table of the Lord this coming Sabbath day. And as by God's grace throughout the week as we prepare our hearts as we ought to. For this coming Lord's day ahead. Let us look forward to with excitement. To meeting with our king. Sweetly, intimately with him. And seeing as we see him more sweetly. That sin would be ever more bitter to our souls. Ever more bitter to our taste buds. Leaving behind what harms us. Leaving behind what stands in our way. With our relationship with that great shepherd of the soul. So as we turn to him. We're also turning away from those things which stand against him. But have you turned? Have you turned to the shepherd? Have you repented of your sins? Have you said no to these things? And has Christ become sweet to you? And if that is true of you, come to the table. Come to the table this Sabbath day and enjoy sweet, sweet communion with him. And if you haven't, I warn you, do not come. Do not come to the table. There is only condemnation at the table for those who have not trusted in this good shepherd. For those who still think that he is bitter and sin is sweet. No, no, no. Only come if the Lord, if our shepherd is sweet to you. Amen.